This is the What's Brewing Podcast, brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. Wisdom for wealth, for life. Here's your host, the voice of the BJU Bruins, Johnny Gamut. What's up, Bruin Nation? Johnny Gamut on the What's Brewing Podcast, part two of the incredible story um, that we experienced as an apartment and the Parker family experienced this summer. Uh, with Callie Parker, who went through a uh, just incredible medical ordeal. Uh, but as I said in last week's episode, and, and if you listen to last week's episode, you will see that the real theme of this is that uh, the goodness and graciousness of our God and, and how he uses trial and how he uses things that just don't make sense sometimes for his glory and, and for our good. And so I have the Parker family with me again uh, this week as we uh, continue Callie's story. And again, I would encourage you, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, Go on to uh, BJUBruins.com or uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever your favorite subscriber is for podcasts and, and take a listen to that uh, episode because you will, be, you will be challenged and you will be encouraged uh, as to Callie's story. And so we're going we're gonna to jump back in. Uh, if you missed last week's episode, we, we had gotten to the point where Callie had been admitted to the hospital, was unresponsive for nine days. Um, the doctors trying to figure out what was going on. They finally got a diagnosis and Callie uh, awoke nine days later. Uh, and so from that point, um, I guess we'll start with, with you, Callie, you know, f- from that point, what was, um, what was the road to recovery like? Well, when I was still in the ICU, they really didn't talk to me very much about that. The important thing was making sure that I was, you know, stable and everything like that Um, so after about a week in that final ICU I was moved to the neurology hall because of the brain injury that I had suffered from the encephalitis and that was when they really started to talk to me about you know what the next literal me taking a step what the next step was for that Um, and there are a couple things that they proposed like mom said they had given me immunoglobulins Um, which my body had responded to. And so every day the neurologist would come in. I had two separate neurologists. um, who was in the neurology hall for two weeks. And every day they would come in and they would test my movement. Mm. And for the first week and a half, there was nothing. Mm. Um, I could, I could, my arms were fine. Upper body was okay. There were times at night if I was, when I was asleep, if I kind of slouched, I didn't have the strength Mm. to sit back up. Um, But they really were looking at below the waist, what capacity did I have to move? Um, And it it was kind of, I was discouraging for me. Um, They obviously, the doctor was fully aware of the situation. He didn't expect me to, you know, jump out of bed and run down the hall. But we were looking for, you know, could I move my foot back towards me? Could I, you know, press down on the doctor's hand? And I I just couldn't. So they started to propose um, a plasma exchange for me, which is um, putting a port um, up by my clavicle and in a series um, of appointments taking out my plasma, cleaning it, and putting it back in. And this um, was pushed more by one neurologist than the other. He had only seen it be successful ever. Um, and based on the movement that I was showing, that seemed to be our last resort. Yeah. Um, after they told me, after I showed movement that they thought was 
good. I would be sent to the rehab part of the hospital, Roger C. Peace. Um, my doctor there had come to see me while I was in the ICU, already knowing about what had happened, already preparing me to come. Um, and so I had the one doctor, he was off. I had a new doctor come in and she came in expecting to see me have no movement. And it seemed like weekends were really, my body just jumped over weekends. Mm -hmm. So she came in um, on a Sunday and I was able to move, I mean, barely. Mm -hmm. Just even like me barely moving my foot, there were high fives all around the room mm -hmm. just because that was so you know unexpected based on my condition. So she told me that it was up to me to whether or not I wanted to do plasma exchange. Mm -hmm. There are some risks yeah. with the plasma exchange, especially on someone who at this point weighed 83 pounds and had already been through what my body had been through. Um, I didn't, I did not want it to be my decision. I talked to mom and dad and we decided to hold off on it. Mm -hmm. She gave me 72 hours to, to see how I improved. Um, over a Thursday and Friday, I had developed a fever. We couldn't figure out what was going on. There was no infection. Infectious disease doctor had come in, tested everything, couldn't figure out what was going on. So the ability that I had regained, mm -hmm. I then kind of lost that because my body was so busy fighting this um, infection and this fever. And so we kind of eventually decided that maybe it was nerves starting to wake up. And again, she said, okay, I'll give you 72 more hours. If I come in on Monday, and you are same ability you have now, I'm taking you to plasma exchange. Mm. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I just was, I, I, I told God, I said, I said this, I want you to make this decision, but if I can maybe request, I would like to not <laughs> do the plasma exchange. And that night, I woke up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden I was able to flex the what muscle mass I had left in my legs. Hmm. And so she came in the next day and I showed her that I could, you know, and and you could see all the muscles because I was like I, I had lost a lot of weight. It was really obvious that there was something going on there. Um, they would do tests on me where they would have me close my eyes and she would touch a part of my leg very lightly and see if I could identify where she was touching. Um, and so she said, okay, this is good. Um, let's see Let's see where we are tomorrow. So she had given me until when? Remember? She gave us, um, I think, 24 more hours <clears throat> to, then, to yeah. determine if she was going to have a significant enough movement to uh, forego the plasma exchange. And so she came back the next day and... Um, you go ahead, Callie. <laughs> she came back the next day, and I, I was same as I'd been before. And she said, "Okay, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, this was a, I think this was a, a Sunday," and she said, "Okay, we'll, we'll see. You know, maybe, maybe Wednesday, Thursday." And then she came back a couple hours later, and I was asleep. Um, and then when I woke up, Dad said, uh, "Doctor Chowdhury just came in, and she is discharging you to go to rehab tomorrow." Mm -hmm. So my rehab doctor came and kind of explained to me what everything would be. Um, Roger C. Peace is specifically for patients who have experienced brain injuries and spinal mm. injuries. I had both. So I t tested in 
um, for physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. I spent two sessions in speech therapy, and then they kind of threw me out of that, said I didn't need that. <laughs> um, and then for the rest of the month that I was in that facility, I did um, occupational and physical. And recreational. In recreational therapy, yeah. too. Um, so they ask, when you come in, they do an evaluation on your first day, and my, my scores, obviously, they weren't expecting them to be great, and they weren't. Mm -hmm. So they ask you what your goal is, and my goal was to walk. I wanted to walk, and you mm -hmm. know they can't, they couldn't look at me and say, "Okay, we'll do that." We'll do that. Yeah. You know. So um, I was there, like I said, for a month. Uh, I would wake up most mornings at about seven. They'd you know, bring you breakfast, um, and occupational therapy was, you know learning how to, in case, the things that I learned were things I would have to know if I stayed in the wheelchair for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I had to learn how to get dressed in the wheelchair, how to get from my bed into my wheelchair, um, how to, you know, go from the wheelchair to go to the bathroom. And, you know, and that, that was hard because I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be in the wheelchair for mm -hmm. the rest of my life. But they tell you that because it's better, you know, they, that I get home and, and, you know, know those things. So um, it ended up being that I would have about two 50-minute sessions of occupational therapy a day. Saturdays, you don't have to have therapy. I requested to have therapy. Mm -hmm. um, I would have two occupationals a day, two physical therapies a day, and about two recreational a week. And that was just like, you know, painting or just things like that to get you, you know, doing something that maybe you enjoy. So I had my occupational therapist and physical therapist were a team. They're all, they always have the same patients. Um, occupational focused on my arm strength, which still was not great. And the mm -hmm. biggest thing that we focused on in physical therapy was my balance. Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, I had had to relearn how to sit up. So, you know, before I could stand, before I could take a step, I had to have enough balance to sit up straight by myself. Um, I had to very quickly learn to listen to what my body was telling me. Um, every therapist that I had told me often that I was pushing myself too hard and I mm. needed to rest, and I learned very quickly what that felt like. Um, and so it, I was not walking until the last week I was there. Yeah. It, seemed, it seemed like it took forever. And then the nurses would tell me, you know, we see few patients who are here for a month with everything that you experienced and leave walking. Hmm. So at first it was between every step I had to stop. Um, standing, we'd spent about a week and a half on. And then my therapist told me that I think tomorrow we're going to take steps. And I thought she meant one or two. And we walked across, you know, the little gym back and hmm. forth. Hmm. And it, it was difficult. Um, it was painful. I, you don't realize how, I mean, I don't, even now I don't think about walking. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about walking yeah. before. Yeah. And so to ha have to put so much energy mentally and physically into taking a single step is really, really taxing. Mm. Um, but we just, you know, they told me the most difficult thing about this is not going to be your physical ability. It's going to be how much patience that you can muster 
because as soon as we stand you up, you're going to want to run. And your mind is telling you that, and your mind is remembering what it feels like to do that, but your body has completely forgotten. So when I left Roger C. Peace on August the 7th, um, they do, you know, you can't leave the hospital walking if you have had an issue. So they, I went out in my wheelchair. Um, I used my walker for a while, um, came back to do outpatient therapy there. And within a few weeks, my, my um, outpatient therapist had originally told me she thought 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. I think I had her for about a month. Mm-hmm. And she just looked at me um, in my last session and said, I have never seen someone who has come to me like you came to me. She said, I looked at your chart and I've never seen a chart like this in my life. She said, I, you don't need me anymore. Mm. Um, so, and I look back and it, Sometimes I think to myself, because when I woke up, they told me, you know, a lot of the things that you think happened didn't. And so my, I'm kind of nervous now about remembering things. I have to check sometimes. But sometimes I wake up in the morning and I think, did that, did that really happen? And then I, you know, get out of bed and my, I'm, I'm, my body's like, I feel like I'm 80 years old. My, <laughs> my bones are very like, just creaky. <laughs> and I remember, and I go, yeah, that it really yeah. did happen. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I am doing better than anybody thought I was going to be doing. I have um, a new neurologist now that I, um, is, he is my doctor. Mm-hmm. And when he came in the room to see me when I had my first appointment with him, I was sitting up on the examination table. Dad had gone downstairs to meet mom and I was the only person in the room and he walked in and I reached my hand out to shake his hand. And he leaned back out into the hallway and checked the door number to make sure that (laughs) I was his patient. (laughs) Because he said, I thought you were going to be sitting in your wheelchair, not even looking at me, Mm -hmm. you know, not being able to track. And it really is, you know, no, they have no record of anyone ever having the combination I had. And I hope no one ever has it again. (laughs) I really do. But you know, you, you don't know mm. how, you know, much you need the community. You know, God doesn't give you what you need until the moment that you need it. Mm. And so there were mornings that I woke up and I thought, I can't do it today. I can't. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the nurse would come in and give me the, you know, 14 pills that I had to take <laughs> and take my blood pressure and look very, you know, worried about how high my pulse was and, you know, try to put the IV in and miss every single tiny vein that's in my arm. And uh, I would go, all right, well, you know, they just stuck this IV in me. I guess I got to do something. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, and, and they told me, you know, home is the hardest mm-hmm. because when I was in the hospital, it made sense that I was sick. And then when I got home, it didn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Um, and they, one, a doctor recently told me about a sort of PTSD that ICU patients develop. And they told me this when I was in the hospital. They said, when you get home, every pain that you have, mm-hmm. if you ever feel you know, nauseated or anything, 
your mind is going to convince you mm-hmm. that you were sick again. Yeah. And and I did for a little bit. Um, I just was really just scared mm-hmm. because, you know, my throat would hurt. And I remember that, that that was the last thing I remembered before, you know, being non-responsive for nine days and, you know, not remembering 15. And then it just took a little bit of me saying to myself, kind of preaching to myself that if God, you know, saved me that time, then that's going to be how this time goes too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then you kind of get back into the swing of things and you, you know, you forget about all that. But, you know, I am still getting there. Mm-hmm. The autoimmune disease that I now have will affect me for the rest of my life. Um, I get fatigued very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be really, really careful. I am probably going to be immunocompromised forever. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I won't shake hands in church or except (laughs) with the man that puts a piece of candy in your hand when you (laughs) shake his hand. Um, I just, you know, but I have, like I said, I have learned to trust what God is telling my body. If I'm tired, I need, I'm not good at saying no. I've never been good at that when they offered me extra therapy in the hospital I said sure right absolutely Mm -hmm. let's do it but I you know have learned that no one is going to be upset with me if I say no because people can't believe that I am here Mm -hmm. Um, when I decided to switch to doing online classes this semester and I withdrew from resident classes I was really ashamed of myself and I went, I went and I met with, you know, everyone that was involved in that. And everyone looked at me and said, we're surprised that you tried. Yeah. And, you know, they said, we have people who drop classes for much, much less oh, yes. than this. And, and, I, and I did realize, I said, you know, the best that I could do was try. And I have learned what my body is capable of and what I'm not yet. And that's okay, you know. There are people who deal with chronic illness their entire life and struggle every single day. And I have, you know, the blessing of knowing what it is like to not be sick Mm -hmm. and now learning how to adjust to that. And every single day is different. It's kind of touch and go sometimes. But I have, I do not fear getting sick again because you know some of the doctors look at me and they go I think you had the thing like you had your thing don't worry about it (laughs) and I said well you know I had you know what thing what is you know what is to say that what happened to me is different from any trial that anybody else is going through right now God only tests us with what he knows we are capable of asking him for help for if he had known that I would not be strong enough to decide to have the right attitude, then I may not have gotten sick. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you, I think to myself sometimes when I look at, you know, people in the Bible who really experienced very difficult things, you know, and I think of, you know, Job. Mm-hmm. God allowed Job to be tested because he knew the strength of Job's character. And I think if God allowed me to experience this, it's because at some point I maybe even subconsciously just made the decision to trust him hmm. no matter what. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of to close up this uh, this part two of, of this story, I'm going to ask the question that I asked at the end of part one. And specifically, Coach, I'm going to ask you this time, um, looking back kind of with the, the view of being past it, at least the, this, the most serious side of it, I know Callie still has uh, challenges even today in front of her. Um, but as you look back, w- what is what is the thing that you take from this experience um, looking back on it, what you guys went through this summer? Um, I think within the first two or three days of, uh, of, of when the journey, uh, the unexpected journey began, uh, I think the thing that uh, I personally uh, wrestled with uh, was as dads, uh, we want to fix everything. And um, it became very obviously very quickly uh, that I, I this was something that I couldn't fix and uh, that frustrated me uh, personally uh, that I could not uh, do anything uh, my my focus uh, had to be on that uh, obviously as Callie's uh, earthly father I cared and loved her very much but uh, I was reminded Actually, on that first Sunday morning, driving early Sunday morning somewhere, doing something because life just went on, and I don't know, taking care of the dogs, or I don't (laughs) remember what it was. But anyway, I was driving down Wade Hampton, and I was really wrestling with this this battle that was going on in in me. And I was reminded uh, that even though I loved her as her heavenly father, as her earthly father, there was no way that uh, her Heavenly Father obviously loved her any less and, in fact, loved her uh, so much more uh, to the fact of, you know, sending his son uh, to Mm -hmm. die. That was my uh, biggest struggle uh, to begin with. And then as as the the journey continued, uh, I I was, you know, very concerned, obviously, for Callie's health. Uh, I was concerned for Anna's health and uh, and the stress that was uh, putting on her physically and emotionally because she was bearing the burden Mm -hmm. much more than I uh, as far as being at the hospital and being there uh, you know constantly and uh, really irritating one of the doctors (laughs) (laughs) to ask she wasn't irritating him Uh, he just was one day said you got to go home Uh, (laughs) and and so I and that was a that was a um, a concern for me uh, you know uh, those things uh, and, I, and I knew also the same response, God's response was, well, you know, I, as a husband, you care for your wife dearly, but obviously as, as, uh, as God, I, I care more than you'll ever know. I had to learn to rest in those things uh, from a father and a husband's standpoint uh, and, and still struggle with that even as our journey continues. Uh, and, and one of the things that <clears throat> we were warned of before we left the hospital, and I think we tended to forget it, because we saw Callie go from a wheelchair in a few days to the walker and from a few days to a cane, and then the, then the therapist finally said, you don't need any of this, you can just walk. And, and so, you know, we were seeing this progress, which we had not anticipated, and I think we forgot the warning that we had been given was this is going to take a very long time. Mm-hmm because of the intense trauma uh, that had taken place to Callie. 
and we have to, we're reminding you of that now about uh, two or three times a week about uh, how the process still continues and the challenges that she faces. And uh, we still see God intervening uh, and, and to us, which are huge things uh, in her recovery. Uh, I think that um, we learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about our daughter. Uh, we learned a lot about our family, uh, her brothers. Uh, Wyatt and William and uh, her aunts and uncles and all those and then of course obviously we learned a lot about our friends uh, mm. who you know care greatly for us um, I the the as Anna mentioned a while ago the care that we received at Greenville Memorial and at Roger C. Peace was unbelievable it was uh, the people cared for us they were compassionate uh, they were knowledgeable. Hmm. We um, we crossed paths with many uh, Bob Jones University graduates hmm. who are in the medical profession, and uh, these men and women were such an encouragement to us. Hmm. Her nurses were. Unbelievable! These these people were <laughs> angels of mercy. Really, mm. they were um, helping us personally, caring for us, um, caring for her, um, going above and beyond on a daily basis. So I I don't recall one incident in those fifty six days of a nurse or tech or anyone who was not kind and gracious to us. Um, we, we went back to visit the uh, neurology floor uh, maybe three weeks after she got out of Roger C. Peace, and they were just elated hmm. uh, to see what was going on. And that was a great, a great day for, uh, for our, for Callie and for us. Um, and then uh, being able to see her at least do her studies online, which has been an encouragement, and the university has been very gracious to uh, give her that leeway and to help her uh, uh, and so it's, it's been a wonderful it's been a difficult experience mm -hmm. obviously but it's been a very wonderful experience for us as a family uh, just to see God's grace and mercy and uh, healing uh, you know how he heals yeah yeah, absolutely. Callie, kind of same question to you but you know you have the opportunity now as, as your mom and dad said in the last episode that you have the opportunity to talk to others about this who um, maybe not going through the same kind of trial from a medical perspective, but it might be a different kind of trial with family or finances or those kinds of things. So as, as you look back on your experience, what has God taught you, the biggest things that God has taught you about going through that trial and, and how you can be an encouragement to others as a result? I think that something that he has taught me is that what we value is often not the same as what he values. When I had the opportunity to speak to the soccer team, I said, you know, you guys are soccer players, but what if you couldn't be? Hmm. You know, we like to define ourselves by our abilities, but some of those abilities are incredibly relative to what God, you know, views. If I had never been able to walk again, you know, no matter what it is that you do, if all of the sudden you were not able to do that anymore, 
that would not make you any less worthy in the eyes of God. Mm. Because if he gave you that, then it's his to take away. And if he takes it away, it's because he doesn't think that you are worthless without it. Mm. So I think that, you know, kind of learning that has made me able to make what happened to me relatable to, you know, anything that's happening to anyone. When you are faced with losing something that you really value, I think we just have to realize that God gives and God takes away. And if God decides that you don't need that anymore, it's because you don't need it. And he, you know, if this had never happened to me, then the the testimony would be very different. Hmm. And I, you know, I really thought if, if I don't walk again, I, you know, what does that change my worth? And it just doesn't. You know, if you, you know, are a singer or an artist or a journalist, if you suddenly lose the ability to do that, you've you've got plenty more that God has given you. You know, God didn't take my voice away. And even if he had taken my ability to walk away, I make the you make we make the decision mm-hmm. to use what he feels is necessary for us and so you know whatever platform he has given you decide to use it while you have it and maybe you'll have it forever but maybe you won't and then he will gift you another one Mm. and i think i'm just think i'm very lucky to you know be surrounded by people who want to hear what happened Mm -hmm. and who you know, take what I say, I hope to heart and who kind of can, you know, take my story and then apply it to their lives because I think it is applicable. Just, you know, put yourself in a situation where what you value is at risk and realize that that is not what God values. Yeah, absolutely. Again, an incredible story for uh, for those of you that that know the Parker family and and, uh, this past summer and what they went through. But Again, an incredible testimony of God's grace and uh, and His goodness. Uh, even as as you've listened, I hope you've been encouraged and uh, and challenged, um, as I know I have, of hearing Callie's story and just how she responded to such a difficult trial in the Parker family as well. So, uh, you can catch up again on on previous episodes if you missed part one. I would encourage you to go back and check that out at bjubruins.com/podcast. And uh, again, thanks so much for the Parker family for joining us and sharing this incredible story. That's going to do it for this week's episode. I'm Johnny Gamut, and that's What's Brewing. You've been listening to the What's Brewing podcast. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform provider or catch up on previous episodes at bjubruins.com slash podcast. What's Brewing is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. Wisdom for wealth, for life.